The Gospel of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ according to St. Luke. Listen for the word of the Lord. On the way to Jerusalem, Jesus was going through the region between Samaria and Galilee. As he entered a village, ten lepers approached him. Keeping their distance, they called out, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were made clean. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back around, praising God with a loud voice. He prostrated himself at Jesus' feet. He thanked him. And he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus asked, were not ten made clean? But the other nine, where are they? Was none of them found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? Then he said to him, get up and go on your way. Your faith has made you well. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Some of you might have grown up in Sunday morning or even Sunday Uh, evening worship traditions. I think it's pretty common across the South, but you know, when Ben got to the time when he said, as a fellowship of believers, and he shared our morning concerns and our sympathies and uh, new birth announcements, well, in some traditions, when that that moment comes, the preacher or the lay person leading the prayer will then address the congregation and say, okay, are there any other prayer concerns that want to be shouted out? You know about this? Oh, it's terrifying, right? (laughs) You know, you want to make sure that you hear hear exactly what's saying, you know, people are saying, and gosh, we've prayed for root canals and GI issues and, uh, you know, the neighbors, cousins, aunts, dogs, new litter, and and life or death matters as well, of course. Uh, If you want to keep a preacher on edge, start shouting out prayer requests in the middle of the worship service. Well, there was this one time in church where they were doing just that. They were sharing prayer concerns and praise reports. And of all that God had done that week, and Mr. Chambers stood up from about two-thirds of the way back and said, um, well, the roof of my house caught on fire this week, but fortunately, a neighbor saw it and disaster was averted with only minor damage. Praise God. Shortly after that, Ms. Johnson stood up and said, I have a praise to share as well. I'm Mr. Chambers' insurance agent. Praise God. (laughs) Praise God. What is linking our text together today, the Psalter, the epistle reading, and the Gospel of Luke, is a posture. This human turning toward God, the human body, the human soul, the human life turning towards God. Or the community of faith turning itself upward towards God. Karl Barth said, the basic human response to God is gratitude. Our basic human response to God is gratitude. Anything else that is uttered to God is stammered praise, but the posture of gratitude, the posture of gratitude, not one of fear and trembling, not one of wonder and awe, but thankfulness. That's what grabs God's attention. Uh, C.S. Lewis, as you noted, uh, converted later in life, and as he was searching the scriptures after his conversion, he noted something. The humblest and at the same time most balanced minds praised God the most, while the cranks, the misfits, and the malcontents praised God the least. 
praise, thanksgiving, gratitude is an inner sign of health that is made audible. Gratitude is a vital sign of Christian health. So on this morning, during this time of worship, how is your health, your spiritual health? If you took an audit of your words, how many of those words are wrangled over? Did you hear that in the Timothy text that Jason just read? Do not wrangle over words. All that does is cause ruin, and it, it, it tears down those who are listening in. Did you hear that? 2 Timothy 8, 14. Do not engage in battle over words that will ruin the one who's listening in. So apparently the church in the first century was caught up in, you know, word battles, semantics about something. I'm sure that would never happen in a local church. I don't know about you. Uh, fussing over inconsequential matters while there's hungry children on the streets or while there's foster children who need to be adopted, debating our brothers and sisters over all these different scenarios that, that fear allows us to do. All the while, there's a grieving widow sitting a few rows back, listening in, just wishing somebody would see her and hear her. She's crying out. It may be in silence, but she's crying. Picking apart things we thought we heard or someone had said, while there's need for flood bucket supplies to help communities in Florida, they, they don't care about the words over which we wrangle. They just need help. And so gratitude and a, a response to a thankful heart is an audible expression of an inward health. Paul says don't wrangle over those words. It's detracting you from your mission. It's affecting your health. And then Jesus tells this story about a leper one single leper, a Samaritan, no doubt, a foreigner, an enemy of Jesus. Samaritans and Jews were that way. I, I hope you didn't miss the fact, by the way, just as a sidebar, that Luke is painting us this very beautiful logistical picture. He says that Jesus walked through the region of Samaria and Galilee. Did you pick up on that? Two enemies, Gal Galilean Jews, Samaritans. Jesus is walking this via media, the middle way, to try to bring grace to all people. In a leper colony, it would have had people from all different walks of life. Leprosy, like cancer or like viruses, it does not discriminate. What we learn uh, from Jesus is neither does grace. Neither does grace when we position ourselves, when we posture ourselves, when we turn our hearts inside out and say, Lord, here I am, I am yours. Have thine own way, Lord. That's a great hymn we used to sing growing up. But you know this story, the 10 people who had skin issues, they were cut off from their family and from their worship and from their friends. They would not have been able to witness a baptism like Millie's or bring flood buckets to their faith community or watch a ball game in person. None of that. They're in complete exile. And I don't know, we don't know a whole lot. I mean, we're not hands-on familiar with leprosy in 2022 as part of our context. But leprosy in, in the first century was, gosh, it was devastating. It would start so small. I mean, you might have numbness in, in your extremities. And then the next time someone saw you, your, your hands were gone and were just nubs. It affected the face. It would cause the sinus cavity to collapse, particularly around the nose. There would be a big crater right there. And I say all that because um, breathing would be painful. Eating, almost impossible. 
but speaking anything other than unclean, don't come near me. A leper wouldn't waste a breath on that. So here we are, we have 10 lepers who almost in unison say, Jesus, Master, have mercy. They fix themselves in a place through all of the pain, through all of the labeling, all the stigma. They, they position themselves and they cry out. I just imagine the shock and awe value when people said, wait a minute. They're supposed to say unclean, not waste their breath on Jesus. Have mercy. There's one leper who returned to say thank you. Just one. Just one. Leprosy begins small. Sin, sin does the same. It, it begins so small. And it starts infecting us from within. It starts infecting the, the human heart. And before we know it, it makes its way to, it, to our minds. No one will ever see. No one will ever hear our inner thoughts. But eventually, it's going to make its way through the, the larynx and the diaphragm and the vocal cords. And we're going to wrangle over words and tear one another apart. We're going to forget to say certain words like, oh, I don't know. Thank you or I love you, or forgive me, or I forgive you. This man came back. He turned around. He returned to Christ who had come for him first. He didn't go to a priest as instructed. It would have taken a great deal of courage to do what he did. Don't forget, Jesus always had a crowd around him, and so this man having been cured in his going, started finding his way through the crowd. And I just imagine, I don't know if he still had some of the deformities that he had or if he still had on whatever it was that they wore that separated them, segregated them from the community. He had nothing to lose but everything to gain. He showed a lot of courage. And I just, I just envision the wrangling over words that people were saying. Of all the nerve, can you believe that this guy came back? He ought to be ashamed of himself. He ought to be stoned. What is his, man, his family saying about all of this? What is, what is he doing? He's a menace to society. But what I think we start seeing in that moment is something more than a curing of a skin disease. All 10 were cured, make no doubt. It seems to be from the text that only one was truly healed. There's a difference in being cured and healed, isn't there? We pray for cancer to go away, and sometimes it doesn't. We pray for the end of Alzheimer's dementia. We pray for the end of, of, of Parkinson's. We pray for the end of so many things that are, that are incurable. And when it doesn't happen, we cry out to God, why, why? But, but some of the ones who, who continue to pray for curing for these incurable diseases are the most whole human beings that I've ever met in my life. And then some of the people who are the most whole, who have no disease at all, are the most broken and sick. How does it work like that? Why does it work like that? What I know is Jesus is drawn to people, all people, especially those who have enough nerve to risk it all and to fall down in a very vulnerable position to say a word of thanks. 
Jesus is drawn to people who should be ashamed to return to him, but they're not ashamed to find Jesus, to do whatever it takes to find him. Jesus is drawn to people whom others deem incurable. He's drawn to people with such little hope that they sit around and wonder all day long when it will end, like the lepers. There's a prescription that happens in these texts today. You've heard me say time and again that healing begins with hospitality. Hospitality being the love of a stranger, the love of another person, but specifically the love of stranger. That's what hospitality means. Healing begins with hospitality. It also happens when grace makes space and when we take on, if you will allow me, this attitude of, of gratitude. It's a formula for healing. Last Tuesday, our Jewish kindred over at Temple Beth Or, they celebrated the holiest day of their calendar. It's Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. If you break that word down, it, it reads at one meant to be made at one with God and with their community. Yom Kippur, the day that the people are restored from sinfulness. Rabbi Luper invited Candace Frazier from Ascension, and, she, and he invited me to attend. And so we sat in the back, and on Yom Kippur, one arrives early, not like five minutes early, but even earlier than that, because the service begins uh, with what some call a prayer. It's not actually a prayer. It's called the Kol Nidre. Have you heard of the Kol Nidre? It's a reading. It means all vows, because there was a time centuries ago when Jews were forced to convert to Islam or to Christianity or to renounce their Judaism altogether, and the rabbis had to find a way to restore those vows that were made uh, years ago through the covenant of Abraham, through Sinai, through David. People renounced those vows because they were fearful of their own life or their families being killed. So how do, how do we do that? Well, first is to renounce the false vows and then to restore the covenantal vows of, of Judaism. It's a very beautiful service. Verbal vows matter in Judaism, much like our membership vows. They're more than just vows. They're, it's a covenant. Will you be loyal with your prayers, your presence, your gifts, your service, and your witness? We brought in a new young adult member this morning, and it was just very powerful to give those vows to her and to hear her say, I, I will do that. I will be loyal. One of the prayers uh, says, And may the entire congregation of the children of Israel as well as the proselyte who dwells with them and among them, all be forgiven. I appreciated being included in all that, right? So Yom Kippur is when the essence of the soul is revealed to God. And the Jewish people express this attitude of, of imperfections which slip into one's thoughts and actions or inactions, as it were. Those imperfections are they're denied and declared insignificant. Kol Nidre, it's more than a technical vow annulment procedure. It's also the time when the people ask God to do something different with his vows. He has pledged not to bring redemption just yet, but God, would you please hurry up and do so? In the event uh, that God made an oath to bring judgments on the people, his people would say, no, postpone that. All vows are annulled at this moment so that we can start anew together, a new page, erasing the board, as it were, blank 
slate, tabula rasa. The days of awe are about more than confessing sins. It's an opportunity to envision what one's life and community life could look like if everyone became a little more thankful and a bit more compassionate with each passing year. Within that 24-hour, there's a prayer called the Nitzavim. It says, if the community is willing to choose life and caring for one another, we'll find that life is not too hard and it's not too far away. And that's followed by a prayer that renounces the sins of gossip and arrogance and it's this turning around we call it repentance it's the turning around of one's life but it's a turning inward to see where are the holes in my life that need to be filled up how often have you made that turn how often have we made that turn corporately, collectively, for the sake of our community who doesn't even know where to turn to say, where are the holes? Where are the gaps? I, I was reminded during the break that there's a process for that too. It's called the 12-step program. It typically applies to addiction, but it doesn't have to. The first step is we admit we are powerless over alcohol and life has become unmanageable. And if you've ever been in an addict community, you'll hear them say the next thing, uh, that they came to believe that there was a power greater than ourselves that could restore us to sanity. Isn't that a wonderful line? There's a greater power in this world, and it's not us. That's my point. There's only one power source to whom we can return to have life restored. The holes plugged up. It's going to require a turning and a returning. Claire Wheel played the solo violin, which is the tradition of the Col Nidre service, and Turia Stark canted, and you could just hear generations of the Hebrew people, the Jewish people. You could hear the hearts of those who were present turning, groaning to God. It was quite surreal. And then we flipped the page over and finally got to some English words that I could read and understand. And we prayed this prayer together. For these sins, we ask forgiveness, God, the ways we have wronged you deliberately and by mistake, and the harm we have caused in your world through our mouths. For these sins, we ask forgiveness for the ways we have wronged you by the hardening of our hearts and the harm we have caused in your world through our careless speech. For these sins, we ask forgiveness, God, for the ways we have wronged you through lies and deceit and, and harm we have caused in your world through gossip and through rumor. I would add, forgive us, Lord, for wrangling over words that do not build up your body and your community. Forgive us for tearing down that which you are trying to build. And the, the Psalter we just read is so important. It says, I cried aloud to God who was praised, highly praised with my tongue. If I had cherished my iniquity, the Lord would not have listened. But God has listened and has not rejected my prayer and has not withheld his love. There's a prescription for the holes that we experience in our lives, for the holes in the ways that we feel inadequate or, or broken or just like we're always coming up a little bit short. 
And it's a posture of turning, a movement of turning, a posture of saying thanks. Anne Lamott is, is one of my favorite uh, writers, and she says that uh, she has two prayers that she prays every day. This is going to be our final prescription for how to make sense of life and to connect more fully with God and to find healing and wholeness in this world. Ready? Anne Lamott, I, I'm not a real doctor, but if I could write you a prescription, this would be it. Ready? Here you go. She prays in the morning, help me, help me, help me. She prays in the evening, thank you, thank you, thank you. That's what the leper did. That's what Paul's telling the early church and Timothy to do. Cry out to God with every breath you have, as long as you have breath. Help me, Lord. Don't forget to say, thank you, Lord. By this, people will know that we are the people of God for the word of God. Thank you, God. Amen.